Welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, presented by Coors Light. Go from full-time to game-time. Coors Light made to chill. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe, and please rate and review our show. I'm your host, William Malou. For segment one, I am joined by my two co-hosts, Blake Murphy, Alex Wong, as it is once again the time of the week where I wear this uh, camo shirt, uh, and we're here to talk well, first off, segment one, we're going to talk a lot of in-season tournament, talk about some Raptors news, et cetera, et cetera. Then we're going to get into uh, potential trade talk with Michael Scotto. Um, that's going to be very interesting to know sort of what the lay of the land looks like heading into rumor season. Then we're going to look more at the in-season tournament games tonight. The Lakers will be taking on the Suns. I'm sure I'll be uh, catching up on that one after basketball. But, uh, you know, we're going to check in with Dan Wykey for the Lakers' perspective. And then, finally, we're going to go around the NBA with Alex Wong leading the way. But, uh, Blake, how you there's doing? There's different depths. There's a, there's different depths to this show. Blake, uh, Will already messed up the rundown because uh, that's not segment four. What What is segment four? Oh, Alex no. had me Alex oh. had me prepare uh, the latest nice and eyes noise. Right, Although we can we can easily save that for Wednesday. No, as how well. did you mess it up already, we man? We don't need to do that. What's, what's uh, going on? The man? first time he reads the rundown out at the start of a show. Man. What's so, going on? so you're you're gonna miss Knicks Bucks. Your anticipation is you'll only catch up on Suns Lakers. No, no, I'll watch Knicks Bucks. Oh, okay. But mm. uh, I, I, as always, the only thing that will make me miss watching NBA basketball is playing actual basketball. Yeah. So I'll be at my usual Tuesday pickup run. You're not like Shams, man. Tuesday is such a safe night. Like I think it's probably the safest night of the week to pick for uh, a basketball run, right? You would think so. I mean, this run's been going on since 95. I think it's actually maybe the oldest running. Were you just like a toddler, like like pushing the ball I mean, around? he only got it? invited to this like a year ago. Oh. So why are, you, why are you dispelling this? Anyways. All right. All right. What's going on? What's guys? going on, O-Dogs? Um, so let's talk Pacers, Celtics, and, and Blake. I feel like that Pacers win, that exciting 9-0 run at the end, uh, Aaron E. Smith revenge game. But I guess we got to start with Tyrese, Tyrese Halliburton, man. He's the talk of the town right now, bro. He is. So Pacers win that one by 10. It's on paper such a good test for this Pacers team because the Celtics cross-match everywhere, defensive strategy-wise, defensive personnel-wise. They are the type of team that you think would be able to slow down the Pacers. And it looked that way for the first half. The second half of that game, though, Tyrese Halliburton gets going. He tears up what is alleged to be and what looks to me, when we've seen them at least, to be the best defensive backcourt in the NBA and Derek White, Andrew Holiday. And yeah, I mean, Halliburton cruises in the second half. It's very, very tight until that final 9-0 run over the stretch of about a minute down the stretch. Um, Tyrese Halliburton, I think, you know, we can get into some of the stats too to to contextualize just how good he's been. But Will... Curious to your take. Obviously, this was only the quarterfinals, but they said it last night. This was Tyrese Halliburton's first time in his career playing on TNT, yeah. which is uh, yeah. not great for the Kings and the Pacers over the last couple of years. Um, but when you look at that game, when you look at a potential in-season tournament semifinals, mm-hmm. who's going to get those first uh, bowling ball looking trophies for all tournament team, things like that. Um, Tyrese Halliburton, potentially the biggest winner of the in-season tournament at the individual level so far? Uh, I think so. I mean, I'm definitely, like, this is definitely the Cinderella team that I'm hoping wins two more games. I guess that's kind of weird to say, but <laughs> they really only got win two more games. Um, it, what's striking about watching him last night was first half, like you mentioned, you know, uh, was pretty quiet. 
And even in the second half, I felt like the Celtics guarded him pretty well. Like, I, I don't remember so many, like, open shots where he's stepping into them or, like, layups where he's getting to the basket really easily. It's all, like, contested push floaters, like, the pull-up jumpers. It's really impressive that despite being guarded by two of the very best uh, perimeter defenders in Drew Holiday and Derek White, he was still able to go off in that fashion. There's this unpredictability about his game because he will pull from so deep. And I think, you know, it's it's funny because uh, I, I watch a lot of basketball, obviously, through the with the context of, you know, we cover the Raptors and, and the Raptors are the team I watch the most. And I think about, like, Darko trying to come in here and bring in a new system of play and the intricate passing, the cutting off ball, the big-to-big passing, Dennis throwing, you know, bounce passes between KD's legs for a dunk or, you know, tight little over-the-shoulder passes to Jakob rolling to the hoop or Pascal posting up and everyone's got to be spaced out right on the weak side. It's like very intricate stuff, right? And of course, the Raptors ultimately at the end of it come out with like at best a league average offense uh, with that process versus the Pacers. One of their go-to plays down the stretch is uh, Buddy Heels. So Tyrese is going to have the ball probably like 30 feet out, maybe a little bit more. And then Buddy Heels just going to run towards him, ghost the screen, which is just he's going to pretend to set the screen. Yeah, he taps, taps the guy so yeah. that he thinks that there's a screen there. And then he just runs out the way. In fact, I don't think I've actually seen Buddy Heald ever set this screen. He's just like running by. And just that little intersection of two players at 35 feet creates enough indecision where then Halliburton can just pull from 30 feet and, and, and make the four-point play, which was ultimately the one yesterday. Like, offense is so simple for them. Versus so difficult for us. So, yeah, it just speaks to a difference in talent, of course. For sure. And that play, you know, they can throw an added wrinkle in there with Miles Turner, where if they do, yeah, sure. you know, yeah. horns double, or you can do a double drag screen in transition to get that quick, where, you know, Heald is maybe going to be the first screener, and then he slips or, or mm-hmm. pops, if you prefer, and then Turner is either rolling or setting the second screen. There's a lot of chaos that goes in there. Um, now, Boston's a team that, like we said, they're comfortable switching a lot of those actions and cross-matching anyway. They did some nice stuff yesterday against Miles Turner with, you know, hey, Drew's going to take that switch if you need to because Mm. Halliburton is the 9-1-1 coverage situation. And if that means Indiana ends up funneling the ball to Miles Turner and they can't get that scram switch out fast enough, well, Drew Holiday defending a a big post-up is enough. But all of those other advantages within the Pacers offense flow from what you have to do with Halliburton. And I think what you're getting at, Will, is like the biggest skill you have in basketball right now in terms of opening up space and manipulating defense is shooting. You can do all the passing you like, but if a team can go under every DHO, under every screen, if they can short close out to you so that you can't drive by because they don't respect what you're doing from the three-point line, then all of that stuff, it's harder to, first of all, it's harder to gain advantages, Mm -hmm. but it's harder to do what the Raptors are trying to do, which is roll a small advantage into a slightly bigger one, into a slightly bigger one, because that process is predicated on, well, those teams are worried about you shooting. And what we see, not only does Indiana have a lot of shooting around the floor, but basketball geometrically has been like pretty solved east to west. Mm-hmm. We know what the corners are. Most players can shoot passably in a catch and shoot open situation for the corners. But Halliburton and Buddy Heald, uh, Halliburton really opens up the floor vertically in a way that to this point, we've really only seen like Steph, Dame, Kyrie kind of do. Sure, if Steve Nash Harden. came along now, he'd probably do that. Harden. Yeah. But even Hardens are like a lot of step-back sure. oriented yeah, yeah, one yeah, where right. he's yeah. creating that space rather than, you know, using what a defense gives him on, on like a 32-foot drop. And Halliburton is obviously 
this. It's a, it's a crazy stat. He is 100th percentile, so best in the league in assist percentage and points per shot attempt yeah. right now. Wow. The only player ever in league history to have a true shooting percentage as high as Tyrese Halliburton has on even 25% usage was Jokic last year. Wow. That's it. And a big, big part of this is the only player in the NBA shooting more pull-up threes than Halliburton is Luka. And Halliburton's hitting them at a 43% clip. Mm -hmm. So not only is he taking a higher volume of those deep pull-ups than anyone, he is hitting at a better clip than basically any high-volume guy. The next closest would be like Jalen Brunson, who's hitting a little better but takes only like two-thirds of the attempts. So what Halliburton is doing by having that pull-up shooting threat is – you know, we've seen this for years with Steph Curry, where no matter how sophisticated your defense, no matter how willing you are to box and one or trap or whatever, when the floor is expanded that much vertically, mm -hmm. that is just really, really difficult for a team that even like the Celtics might have a claim as best defense in the league. Yeah, and I thought not having Porzingis actually was going to help them in a game like that last night because of the fact that you could be a little bit more mobile, more switchy, more pressed up on the perimeter. And even that didn't really matter. And I think the thing to do with the Pacers, moving aside from Halliburton, who obviously is phenomenal, um, they just got a lot of guys who could step up and give them that extra bit of punch on, on offense. You know, first quarter, I thought Bruce Brown came out super aggressive, looking to take pull-up jumpers, looking to go to the basket. Um, and that was obviously their big offseason addition. They paid 22 a year for him, but... Who, who cares, honestly? Can he contribute? He can play? Yes, he can play. Um, you know, down the stretch, in addition to um, Halliburton, it was Buddy Heald making that big three after that inbound. It was Aaron Neesmith, who kind of was an afterthought. He was kind of mocked a lot in Boston because wasn't a prospect that kind of went anywhere. I get it. But then he goes into the system, and all of a sudden he's playing super hard, super aggressive, plays bigger really than his size. Defensively. Really good defensively, and you could tell how motivated, not just by the in-season tournament, but going up against the Celtics, who discarded him. Miles um, Turner, throughout the course of the game, would just give them a pick-and-pop three here, a little hook shot here. I thought they probably looked from a little bit too much. That's part of the reason why their offense is a little gummy. But the fact that you have a, a, a big who can kind of stretch but also play inside a little bit, that's tough. Um, and then they just get little bits. Uh, you know, I, I didn't even think Matherman played particularly well. I think his, no. defensively he was so lost. But every time he gave them a bucket, it's just like, man... You know, this team has so many weapons. And I guess that's not surprising from the league's best offense. But, like, I mean, it's just really impressive to do that against a really great defense in Boston. And Boston played well last night. I didn't think that, like, they were struggling. They weren't, like, airballing threes or anything like that. They played well. They just got beat by a team that played much better than them. Yeah, they, they played, you know, I, they didn't shoot the ball particularly well. They shot 29% on threes. But yeah. if Sam Hauser comes in off the bench and gives you five threes, I don't Joey think... Hauser. Yeah, I don't Joey think Hauser, you can really... Uh, really complain too much about yeah. what your bench gave you. I do wonder, though, Will, when you look at a game like this, and yes, there was no Porzingis, that takes away a little bit of your rim protection, certainly some of your, um, you know, when you look at the, the the fact that the Pacers are nominally pretty small, mm -hmm. um, and that's one of the challenges for them defensively, the fact that they basically, unless a Siakam type is just beating them down with post-ups, they don't really send two to the ball inside. No. Porzingis, if we lower the possessions total threshold because he's missed some time is one of the only guys more effective in the post this year than Siakam. Yeah. Um, Jason Tatum is another one right sure. near the leaderboard actually. So they did lose a little bit of that, but more than anything, I wonder, Will, if you look at what that Celtics rotation looked like where they have to lean on Delano Banton for 11 minutes in that game, they have to play Luke Cornett, who was, oh, yeah, I thought played great. He had he a great first great. half. 
he was run off the floor pretty quickly in the second half. Do you think even with Porzingis back, this Celtics team, and they're armed with some picks still, and they're equipped to make a move, think they're one rotation piece short a little bit still? I think so. Yeah, it just feels like the Celtics don't touch the paint enough for me. I feel like they're talented enough to get to the paint. Jalen Brown, I thought, made a great effort to get to the paint downhill all the time. Tatum, not as much. Um, But... Yeah, I, I don't feel like they get into the paint nearly enough. Um, honestly, I see. I mean, they would never really have the pieces to get a Siakam type. Well, I suppose they do have the pieces, but they wouldn't really make a trade like that. But like, even somebody like that who can really give them a little bit of balance of like interior scoring, exterior scoring, this team could be really good. But I mean, I don't know. The Celtics. It's it's funny because I saw the who was it um, the the Lakers guy on Twitter, I forget who his name was, but he was like, oh, this really did feel like a playoff game because Jason Tatum got outplayed by a better player and the Celtics were eliminated in a must win. Like, you know what? I, I, I enjoyed the slander, but honestly, I think it was just the Pacers um, playing really great. I, I obviously, the, the crowd was awesome too. They were really into it. And my only thing about the game yesterday was just how many times the broadcast was like, isn't this great? It's the in-season tournament. And I'm like, it'll be like going to a, like a three-star Michelin restaurant and the, halfway through the meal, the, every time the waiter comes around, they're like, isn't the food great? Isn't the food, aren't you enjoying the food? It's a three-star Michelin meal. Aren't you enjoying the food? And I'm like, yo, just let me watch the game. I can see that it's great. So heard chef. It's yeah. It was a lot of overselling. What I'm uh, saying. Alex, I believe you have a stat on the Celtics coming out of this in-season tournament game as well. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, double check this with Elias, but um, the Celtics now have one NBA title and zero NBA Cups since 1986. So once again, I just want to reaffirm my argument of like, can we stop talking about the Celtics as this like incredible franchise? I mean, they look like that every time they play the Raptors, unfortunately. <laughs> well, but. many teams do, so. They are the first team yeah. to ever get eliminated in the knockout stage of the in-season tournament. Wow. Yeah, I'm just That's saying. That's history right there. Are the lights again too bright for the Celtics, man? It was a... Uh... It was funny, though, because I feel like the Pacers just played that well. Like, I don't know. Are you, were you guys surprised that the Pacers took it? Not really. I, okay. I, I have wondered and, you know, had the Kings won last night, maybe this would have, yeah. um, you know, I, I made a joke, I think, to our pal James Herbert on Twitter that, you know, defense wins playoff championships, but offense maybe wins in-season tournament championships. Yeah. Mm. And that is, you know, the, being a high-end offense like the Kings last year who were, you know, one of the worst defensive teams ever to win that many games, but they were the best offense we've ever seen. That has a much better chance of working over 82 games when a team can't see it seven times and sit down and scout for you. And one of the cool things about a one-and-done format like this is there is no adjustment and counter-adjustment, right? You're only like, yes, maybe the Celtics, the Celtics will see the Pacers three times over the course of the season, but maybe they haven't seen them yet. Maybe the Pacers' next opponent hasn't seen them yet. Maybe you're just going off the one video scout, and you don't know what it feels like defensively to try to defend that Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, Miles Turner three-man action, and you don't know, hey, this is what we thought our first line of defense was against it. We need to revisit that. We need to go back to the drawing board and make an adjustment to that and force the Pacers to show you they can counter adjust. They can play a different way. Isn't that coaching though? But you don't get the, what I'm saying is you don't get the opportunity to do that like you do in a seven game series where every game in a seven game series, we could do a whole show on what changed, what did they do differently? What did they try here? You know, you can make small adjustments as you go. You can make halftime adjustments, but a lot of coaches would, if they were being honest, would probably tell you, they don't want to switch away from a strategy that quickly unless it's getting absolutely beat in because sometimes guys are just going to make a shot mm-hmm. and maybe you do need, you know, eight, nine, ten possessions against that to see if it's really working and see if you guys can execute better. So I think this is a cool part 
of the one and done format where a team that really does just have like that top year offensively mm. might be able, or, or even a team that just does something differently, a mm. team that just looks different, yeah. plays a little weird. Um, you know, maybe that's something that in a one and done format, you just can't catch up with in time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you guys talked about whether Halliburton is the biggest winner of the in-season tournament so far, the biggest loser has to be Joe Mazzulla. Oh, yeah. Because this man, we talked oh, about yeah. this last week, like no one cared about getting into the knockout stage more than Joe Mazzulla. Um, I think, you know, he's 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 pissed off a few coaches along the way. The Darko one, was, Darko one wasn't an in-season tournament. No, thing. but... That was just a coach's challenge. There was actually a Celtics reporter that asked Joe about it. Yes. And... Joe's answer was essentially like, I'm not here to make friends. Yeah, I actually, like, I actually oh, have the quote here. Okay, go so, ahead. What's the quote? Gary Washburn um, was the one who asked, and uh, basically about whether he wants good relationships with other coaches. And, and Joe Mazzula said, quote, how do I say this nicely? I don't care, but I also have respect for people. I learn from every coach. I think there are a lot of great coaches in the league. I've studied what other teams do. But as far as having an off-court relationship with a coach, I don't. That's like last on my list. Yeah, like I said earlier, I think we discussed this when we talked about when he had intentionally hack-a-checked um, Drummond mm. um, in the fourth quarter in a 26-point game against the, the Bulls. Just in case. Just in case. And he had to go explain that to, to Billy Donovan, who has obviously been around uh, multiple levels. Mm -hmm. And I, my answer then is kind of like what my answer is now. It's just I just don't think Joe is like, He's just kind of a, a rude man. I guess I can't swear on air. But well, he's not a people person. Is he's definitely not, a people, he's not a people person. Yeah, you know who took notice, though, I think? Siobhan Buddy healed, man. The three with no time left on the clock and oh, the game yeah. over. He did pull Shot up. clock off. Yo. He pulled up right at the Zero buzzer, too. Because yeah, yeah. he was standing left in the corner. Because he was standing in the corner for a few seconds. The yeah. game was obviously Plucks done. Plucks the ball from Tatum yeah. and then stands uh, there and just before the buzzer gets that three off. Point differential <laughs> even in a knockout game. I want to know I mean, the gambling. I, mean, hey, I want to know the gambling implications of that three, to be I, honest. I don't Do you think imagine it swung it anything. Yeah. No, because, I mean, Over there's under. obviously some person out there who teased the line to whatever, yeah, but the spreads. line wouldn't have been as high as seven and a half pacers. 234 seems, yeah, seem maybe too oh, high. He, he yeah. could just explain it to Joe Mazzula that he's practicing buzzer beaters, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, His team's moving on. Joe so Mazzula's trying to build in-season tournament habits for future years. Joe Mazzula's made a lifetime enemy of DeMar DeRozan, and um, he got knocked out in the first round. Of the in-season tournament because of it. I think the other thing, too, is... Also, don't look up Joe Mazzola's history. Oh, okay. Um, I think the other thing, too, is... So, they're going to be playing on Thursday, the Pacers, at um, 5 p.m. Eastern. Um, okay, it's sure. 2 p.m. Pacific <laughs> in Vegas. Yeah, it's weird to play a game at 2 p.m., but okay. Yeah, and this is my concern, too, of the final two rounds of the in-season tournament... Look at how amazing the crowd was in Indiana yesterday. But you're they not, just got to travel. Here's the thing but about you're the not going to get that. Like, Yo, here's the you're thing. not going to get that. If you think, if you copy the FA, FA Cup model, if you want to copy the Champions League model, yeah, your team has battle. a problem. Where's the You know what I mean? Like, that's what... But you cannot replicate the home arena vibe. You just can't. You can't. But, I mean, at the same time, they're playing in a tournament. Yeah. And, like, people travel for, like, NCAA tournament. You don't think Duke fans travel? Yeah. Or I just think there'll travel, be a like... bit of a letdown. All the stakes are higher, no, but, but I think the, the crowd is going to be You have half and half. Like a combination <laughs> plate. What is this, man? Your French press. You oh, get two yeah. meats, a veggie, and a noodle. You got the chicken shawarma with the beef shawarma. We got on, the poo-poo platter, And they're man. just fighting each other. And, and not like fighting each other, but yeah. like they're chanting against each other. That would actually be really unique. Well, what do you think, I, Blake, about I this? I think more realistically, like I think half and half is too optimistic. Okay, I think you're sure. probably going to get like 
like maybe let's say you get a quarter and a quarter yeah. and then half of that is going to be neutral but they're yeah. going to get on the side of <laughs> they're just going to show up to the game in the nba hat <laughs> yeah or or they're going to root for like the team that is more compelling or yeah. is that like All if right. the pacers get there i could absolutely see neutral fans getting behind the offense oriented underdog team that's gotten sure. there yeah. right it, yeah however the i guess the one thing that would go counter to what i'm saying there is like the lakers if they make it are easily the team that's going to travel the most. We've oh, seen yeah. them. We've oh, yeah. seen them fill Thomas and Mac for summer league games before, when Brandon uh -huh. Ingram was a prospect Bro, or Lonzo Ball was a prospect. Yeah, yeah, like that's only what I think a three-hour drive, <laughs> LA to yeah. LA to Vegas. So if the Lakers get in there, I think you're basically going to see so, a Lakers. The interesting thing to me is that 2 p.m. start their time. Yeah, are you just like, like 2 p.m. is not a time that exists in Las Vegas. Right. Right. Yeah, like you're not, you're not, crowd, at you're, the, right. you're not at the tables yet. You're yeah. probably not even up from the night before yet. In some cases, what? that's a, that's an. They might just have to like round people up from the like late stragglers at the at the casino. Yeah, you, you might uh you you might just be stumbling out of the MGM Grand uh, Breakfast Buffet if, on if, your yeah. way to watching Raptors Pistons at Summer League. If you're if you're going there to root for the Pacers and you're not a Pacers fan, you better have a six-way parlay that you picked up at the Win Sportsbook. Oh yeah. That's well, the, I, I that's feel definitely like, a big part of why. I feel like the majority this. of the audience there too is is going to be a big gambling crowd. But listen man, I've No, but I challenge Pacers fans like and yeah. I guess Pelicans fans like They're not going to hear go, you. <laughs> go 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 support your team. It's so cool when you get to support uh, your team right. on the road. Like all watching right. the Raptors well, in 2019 when they finally wrapped and yeah. all the Warriors fans are like left the Oracle Arena. There was like three full sections of Raptor fans. And I get it. That yeah. was the NBA Finals. But no, like, that was cool. That was resilience. Nav, you know, Dr. Shank. People uh, chant, chanting CBC because of the win. People chanting like. Oh, I thought you meant Canadian born Chinese. Well, I thought that's what they're chanting towards me, but I was not Canadian born. <laughs> Listen, born. I've been wrong about the NCAA tournament like the whole way. And yeah, it's we all been were. such a pleasant surprise. So um, I'm ready to be pleasantly surprised. In Vegas as well. Another team going to Vegas is uh, the New Orleans Pelicans. Yeah, we've saved three whole minutes for them. <laughs> <laughs> That's about as many minutes as they played on defense last night. Ooh. Uh, Pelicans. Oh, come on, come on. The Pelicans. Pelicans. Man. Pels get the win over over the Kings. Big shots to the second unit, man. That's a deep team. Yeah. So Jose maybe Alvarado, this is a conversation Trey to Murphy. tee up the next game because sure. we went so long on this first one. But they went 10 deep last night. And that did not include Jordan Hawkins, who I know is a huge liability defensively, but has been a huge part of those bench units as a scorer. Yeah. Um, they also still have Larry Nance injured and Matt Ryan, who I know was a two-way, but they signed him for shooting. Like, this is a team that I think could argue with the Knicks yeah. as the deepest bench in the league. Like, they don't have – none of sure. those pieces yeah. are as good as Emmanuel Quickly and maybe not Josh ah. Hart. But you look guy for guy. Like, Trey Murphy the third is – Oh, he's a guy. Awesome. Yeah. Dyson Daniels is a menace defensively. Yeah, yeah, is, I, I know yeah. he didn't factor in much last night. Jose Alvarado and like the Grand Theft Alvarado steal chasing a guy yeah, back in yeah. transition is like, like, I don't know. This is a really good bench. And yeah. I, I I know the inclination a lot of people have sometimes is, we'll consolidate a couple of those guys for a third star. Um, I don't know who that guy is that fits well with OG Zion and, OG and, and Brandon Ingram, but man, do they have pieces. OG Ananobi? Tell me GTA 6 trailer drop and then GTA. Yeah. I was oh, also God. dropping on the court. Tap, tap me out, man. Yeah. Um, no, no, seriously, though, I agree. Like, their, their second unit is really, really impressive. That really swung the game for them because the Kings came out like a house on fire. Keegan Murray was knocking down every three off the dribble. Feels like that's the only thing he really does. But still, you know, the Kings definitely had a, a, a great amount of momentum. 
think Wolfon had the stat. This is the most Wolfon stat ever. Oh, God. Uh, the Kings ran DHOs through DeBonta Sabonis for the first four possessions, and they scored like 11 points out of those. Thanks for yeah, nothing, that's, Wolf. That's like when the Raptors run DHO through Precious Tachua for four straight possessions and somehow have 11 turnovers. Jeez. That's why they're not having a pizza party yet. Uh, <laughs> That's right. No pizza until there, you there's successfully a draw why There's off. no pepperoni and cheese right oh, now. Um, get out the salami and cheese? No, no no longer. <sighs> Quick one for you guys before we break and get to Scotto. Um, Brandon Ingram had a really nice oh, game yeah, last night. Sick. Nice mix mm-hmm. of scoring and playmaking. He is leading the league in the amount of mid-range shots he takes, and he's almost at the league lead in shooting percentage on those mid-range shots. Does Ingram have, like, I know this is blasphemous when KD's still in the league, no, go but ahead. might mm. Ingram have the, like, nicest mid-range package in the league? I, honestly, he's a contender for sure. He's a contender. I yeah. think one of the things working in Ingram's favor is he has probably better guys to both roll in JV and also just spacers maybe around him a little bit that um, allows him to get to the mid-range a little bit better, but it's it's unguardable, man. That mid-range mm-hmm. shot is is really sick. That was the that was a shot that Stan Gundy said on the broadcast probably twenty eight times. <laughs> uh, that's a playoff shot. That's that's a playoff shot. He just kept saying it over and that's over again. That's an IST knockout stage shot. Did Stan Gundy coach on the Pelicans? Yeah, for yeah. a year that happened, right? Yeah, not more than a year. Okay, it was more yeah. than a year. Okay. But like ultimately, like that is the shot that you know is going to consistently get them that offense. I still think the Pelicans can... Um, there's other ways for them to get offense. I think Zion can probably get used a lot more than he had 10 he, than points he last night. He was pretty invisible Zion in the needs first to be half. better, man. I think, you know, clearly if Zion is like, can be an all-NBA type player, then I'm ready to take the Pelicans seriously. Yeah, sure. But until he is, but like, the fact that they even care. have that built-in upside of like, Zion can take them there, yeah. which is very possible because he is that level of player, that's dangerous. Plus, also, I love one, one quick moment for JV. JV, mm. ever since he's come into the... Well, ever since his second year in the league. His first year, he was actually quite uh, quick and, and, and leaf. But his sec from the second year until now... Lethal weapon. <laughs> <laughs> he's just the same guy. You give him the, in the post, and then he just muscles his way in for that man. right hook. He's like an OG there in the low it's post. It's unbelievable. Man. He's rebounding. He's throwing the elbows up. Yeah. He's like doing he, this. Yeah, Trey Lyle's throwing a punch at him. Yeah, yeah. and he's also, wanted to fight him because he's always so physical. I, I I love that JV stayed the exact same. Yeah, and like yeah. his stat cool. line has been the same forever. His yeah. his paycheck has been the same forever. <laughs> yeah, he's made he's exactly fifteen million dollars for like ever. Um, <laughs> and he's like really important to this team because he one is, of the yeah. drawbacks of Zion not quite being you know everything they expected yet is those Zion at center lineups are what on paper everyone thought would be the deadliest thing in basketball. Mm. But they are so untenable defensively that, you know, last night aside because he fouls out, but, like, they're probably going to need to close with Jonas Valanciunas a lot because Mm -hmm. they haven't, like, Cody Zeller is certainly not going to close as their center, and they don't really have the ability to go to Zion at the five right now. It's just too... Weak defensively. Yeah, if, I think you can probably put Nansen as a defensive option. When he's back, want, though. When, yeah, when he's back, if you want to switch. But the thing with JV, too, is just like, yeah, the feet are also as slow as, as ever defensively. But I also <laughs> enjoy feet? No, him just like fighting the Monte Simonas like all night. It was just guys just like elbowing yeah. each other in the post. No, like, it, was, it, it was like a Street like, Fighter fight screen, man. Basically, yeah. No, By I the way, uh, JV, team. one year older than Otto Porter Jr. No, yeah. no. Who is Otto older than, man? <laughs> He's the youngest 30-year-old yeah, ever. Is Otto, a, is Otto a young G? Like, what's going on, man? 
Anyways. Otto yeah. might come up in segment four. Oh, okay. Otto. Or maybe segment two. Who knows? Maybe Michael Scotto's got some you know Otto Porter Jr. Uh, trade interest nuggets for us or something. Otto might come up on this show later this week. So right, I'm you just going to you know pause. You know what's going to come up? A break, my brother. Yeah, we're going to take this break. <laughs> Been your host, Willow. You've been listening to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. When we come back, let's look at trade rumors, the spiciest thing on the internet. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. For segment two, I'm joined by co-host Blake Murphy, who we were chatting about the greatness and the longevity of Rick Carlisle. And, uh, yeah, we will be joined on the line as well for segment two by Michael Scotto of the True Hoop podcast. Nope. Mike, you there? Hey, what's up, fellas? How are you guys? We, we are doing good. We are doing good. Uh, Blake, I think you have some Shohei banter. Yeah, first, it's a Hoops Hype podcast. We got to send people to the right spot for, uh, for Michael Scotto's work. Franz Wagner on the – you said uh, you said True Hoop. Did I say True Hoop? Um, My yeah. bad. Franz bad. Wagner so on the pod – this week, Michael, I, I got to ask, uh, I know you're a Yankee fan, so before we do the basketball stuff, you know, some some buzz about Shohei potentially coming to the American League East, but it's a, it's to the Toronto Blue Jays. How would that make a Yankees fan feel? I mean, I don't think we were ever really expecting him. We would have loved to have a guy like him, but, uh, you know, I think for us more, Juan Soto is, is our guy, and, uh, you know, maybe if we can get one other pitcher, uh, <laughs> that'd be nice, but to me, Soto would be great for them. He's in his prime. He's in his mid-20s, and I would love that. But, uh, you know, we, we've got some work to do. I feel like we wasted a, a Garrett Cole Cy Young season. And, uh, you know, Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman, they've got something to prove this offseason. So hopefully they can do that because uh, right now they're in the crosshairs a little bit for some Yankee fans here uh, in the States. <laughs> so, yeah, so some Yankee fans starting to lose their patience a little bit. Similar vibe around the Toronto Raptors where maybe not as, nice you know, it, it's certainly nice. not as, you know, there's not the level of Yankees exceptionalism where the expectation is World Series or bust every year. Yeah. Um, but certainly some impatience setting in with the Raptors. Um Decision not to make a decision in terms of their path and their timeline. Uh, Michael, you had a great piece up at Hoops Hype on November 29th that kind of did a roundup of who's the player to watch for each team. And, and you get to the Raptors segment and it's like, well, they're the, the, the quote an exec used to you was the wild card team. And I feel like that's what they were last year. <laughs> yeah. That's what they were before. Um, we can get into some of the player specifics, but the Raptors in general are we headed for another February where they're a swing piece and there are a lot of teams around the league waiting to see what they're going to do? Yeah, Blake, I think that the difference last year to this year is that Toronto has to make decisions. You've got Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi, two coveted guys around the league that are due for some pretty big pay raises. And also you can include Gary Trent as a guy that um, they have to make a decision on as well. I, I would say for them, they're definitely a wild card team in the sense that they're hovering around 500 at this point. And for Toronto, they've got a young asset in Scotty Barnes that they want to build around. They didn't want to include him in the Kevin Durant trade talks back when he was available. Um, and they feel that he's going to be a core piece. Now, some executives around the league may debate uh, whether he's, you know, a number one guy on a championship contender team. I don't think most people around the league believe that, but he's certainly a valued core piece and a guy that's played well this year. So for Toronto, 
you know, OG Ananobi fits more that timeline given his age. Uh, but they, he is going to have a lot of suitors, and him being unrestricted complicates things. Uh, an extension for him doesn't make sense based on the number he's at now because it's too low given where the market projects him to be. That's just business. That doesn't mean that he wouldn't necessarily return. Um, just logical business. And then for Pascal Siakam, I mean, he's been in trade talks for a while now, and, and this is a guy that um, is an all-NBA caliber player when he's at his peak. So um, he's a little bit older, and you know, given that they lost Fred Van Vliet in free agency for nothing, um, you know, I think it's going to be very interesting to see what they do with Siakam. You know, previously, uh, Toronto has lost some some marquee players. Obviously, Kawhi Leonard, uh, Kyle Lowry, and uh, most recently Fred Van Vliet. The biggest thing with OG Ananobi is, will a team that has max cap space entering free agency? in the summer of 2024, target him. You know, some executives wondered maybe he gets a short-term max deal, somewhat similar to Fred Van Vliet. I think for Toronto, uh, that's going to certainly be something that they're monitoring. And, uh, you know, he's got a lot of trade value. Last year, this was a guy that I, I believe, according to reports, they, they passed on three first-round picks for him. And, you know, it wouldn't shock me. The Brooklyn Nets passed on four first-round picks from Mikhail Bridges, as I had reported on Hoops Hype. Um, so OG Ananobi potentially were three last year wouldn't have shocked me. I think this year now, with him going into unrestricted free agency, uh, that value would drop a little bit unless a team firmly believes that it can sign him long-term. And one of the teams that I had mentioned in the piece that you referenced, Blake, was the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, because they can create max cap space and go after him. However, just this is just my opinion. If I was Philadelphia, I would be trying to trade for OG Ananobi so that way you can acquire his bird rights and then also you have a better chance of keeping Tobias Harris as well and really fortifying uh, one of the top starting fives in the league if you were able to pull that off. Um, but time will tell on that. Uh, there, there's a, a ways to go. But again, those guys... And along with Gary Trent, who was reportedly in the mix for uh, an extension with Toronto, but that hasn't happened. And at this point, you know, Gary's a streaky shooter, guy that, you know, when he's hot, he's hot. When he's cold, uh, it's like the Arctic. So oh, we know. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah. So, I mean, t Toronto's got a lot of potential moving parts. I just think the difference this year, Blake, is they have to make a decision compared to last year where they could have kicked the can down the road. You can't do that now. Yeah. Um, okay, lots of great details there, um, and I would love to follow up on a lot of that. Um, on the Pascal Siakam front, I know there was links to Atlanta, and you have mm -hmm. reported here that the Hawks, quote, continue to monitor him as a trade target. Uh, the Hawks yes. are also kind of at 500. You know, they could also, if they want to push in that direction, it would still make sense for them. Um, what are you hearing on that front? Well, for the Hawks, you know, they had just uh, gotten a new deal done with DeJounte Murray. Uh, obviously, they have Trey Young there. They're looking to win now. I think one of the things that's been interesting since over the summer to now and the start of the season, Jalen Johnson has played really well for them, and he's a guy that's in the most improved player of the year conversation. So for Atlanta... I think they have to make a decision. Is Jalen a guy that they can really continue to like build around? Is he is he a core piece, or is he a guy that you know other teams would want mm -hmm. in trade talks? I mean, he's he's a talented young player. So do do they move him? It's it's a question they have to figure out. For a guy like Pascal Siakam, 
I mean, Masai Ujiri always drives a hard bargain. He's going to want the best assets on any team, even with him going into free agency in the summer as well. Um, and and on Hoopsip, he's currently our number two overall free agent going into the market. So, um, you know, I think uh, for for Atlanta, they're certainly going to monitor his situation. They're not only going to monitor him; they're they're looking to upgrade and get better. Um, so I do look for them to be active and to try to be a buyer if they can uh, at the trade deadline this year to to improve their team going forward, especially after the new deal for Dejounte Murray. Yeah. Well, the Pascal thing is interesting, too, because he is going into free agency, as you mentioned. And any team that would acquire him would want to know if he's going to re-sign in that market or if he has a strong interest in re-signing in that market because that's the difference between a team paying a rental price versus paying an acquisition price. And I do think that that's a pretty key detail. Um, and, yeah, I don't know if Pascal would want to re-sign in Atlanta. I mean, bird rights still go a long way, though. You can get the extra year at the end. You can get a little bit more money. The the question, honestly, becomes, you know, is is that team, as much as is Pascal willing to sign the extension after this or sign a new deal after the season, is is whoever acquires him willing to pay him the max or is that going to be a negotiation of free agency? So I could see that kind of going both ways. Yeah, that's fair. If you're a, if you're a playoff caliber team and you're not going to have cap space, it absolutely, Blake, to your point, would be advantageous for that team to acquire his bird, right? So then you can go over the cap and, and keep a player his caliber. Yeah. Um, so, Michael, when it comes to the Raptors, one of the things that – dictates this decision and where they're going is the level of play of Scotty Barnes. He's taken a big leap this year, uh, rookie of the year, a bit of a plateau last year, at least statistically this year, much improved offensively, significantly better defensively. When you talk to people around the league, because this could kind of go two ways. You could, you could think, well, Scotty Barnes is good enough to help you win right now. Maybe the Raptors ride this out. I personally you know, we're, we're a couple years into this. We know what it looks like. Um, the other thinking would be, well, Scotty Barnes could potentially be such a good piece. Everything the Raptors do should be about making sure the right group of players is around him when he's ready to kind of hit that peak. What is your sense from people around the league in terms of whether this Scotty Barnes jump is, you know, all the way legitimate and how that might inform what the Raptors are thinking here? Well, when you, you talk to execs around the league, look, the, the jump that Scotty Barnes has made has been notable and, and taken into account by people around the league. I, I You know, for some, they've been linked certainly Toronto to like Zach Levine, for example. But I don't know if Zach Levine is going to push them forward where they want to be ultimately. I think he's a good player and he would be an upgrade. But um you know, I've gotten some inclination that Toronto would like to, if they could, get a star type of player. Now, I don't know if if Zach is that guy. I think Zach is a really good player and at times is an all-star caliber player. But given the money and the new CBA agreement, looking ahead towards luxury tax and restrictions along those lines, I don't know if the juice is worth the squeeze there. So in terms of Scotty Barnes and, and how he affects things, uh, you know, Toronto certainly is pleased with his progress. Again, this is a guy that they didn't want to include in Kevin Durant trade talks for this reason. They thought that he can be a major core piece going forward. Um, when I have spoken with executives, you know, rival executives wouldn't necessarily build around him as the number one guy on a championship caliber team, but he's certainly a piece um, that you can have on a team. So 
again, I think this ties into OG Ananobi because he's younger and more along the trajectory of Scotty in terms of age and, and the window that Toronto would have to compete. I think for Pascal, if you're going to keep Pascal as he's, you know, going into the 30s range, you, you're going to want to, you know, assuming you sign him to a long-term deal, uh, you're going to want to compete and try to win now and maximize the remainder of the prime of his career. Uh, so those are all variables they're weighing right now. And again, uh, you know, I think some people wondered when they re-signed Jacopo if that meant that they were looking to try to get better and, and acquire another star type of guy. Ultimately, I think he keeps things the same. He's a really good center and he's still young, so he's still got um, time if they wanted to extend their window a few more years. Really, to me, as much as you ask me about Scotty Barnes, I think they have to decide if Pascal Siakam is the guy that they want to kind of really be the focal point of this team for the next few years, or if they recalibrate that and go younger around Scotty Barnes and OGN and OBN, Jakob Podol, et cetera, um, to extend maybe a, a window for a few more years, given that they're all younger. That does seem, the, the latter does seem a lot more likely. Um, can I just circle back quickly on Gary? What, what, what was the situation there? Because sure. there was a report in the summer um, from Chris Haynes that he had opted in, but that the Raptors were looking to make an extension happen. Mm-hmm. What would that extension have looked like, and ultimately, why did it fall through? Well, I mean, there was – I will say this. I, I can only speak okay. to, you know, who I talk to. For sure. There were definitely conversations about an extension with Gary Trent Jr. And I I had heard it would be somewhere around possibly $20 million now per year, right. annual per year. Now, I don't know – if Gary wanted more or if Toronto kind of pulled back on that, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. What I can tell you is that um, if something were to get done looking ahead, my educated reasoning would say to me that if something got done, it would be a short-term extension at this point yeah. uh, and not something long-term. But I think right now Gary's a guy that they've, kind of been trying to figure out if he's going to be a a core piece or not. Um, And certainly I think, fellas, you have to look at the selection of Grady Dick in the draft as a hedge that he could be a replacement for Gary down the line and a less expensive one at that. Uh, Both can provide shooting, you know, ideally when they're right. So, you know, as far as Gary now, it, it almost makes you say, well, if the extension didn't get done then, given mm. the way the season's gone, why would it now? Yeah. So, uh, you know, of the three, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, and Gary Trent, I think you could certainly make the case that Toronto would prioritize the other two guys For ahead sure. of Gary long term. And, uh, you know, TBD on Gary's future in Toronto. So Gary Trent would not be, you know, the most notable named move at the deadline unless it's quite a quiet deadline. Um, this doesn't have to be Raptor specific. We're just zooming out to the NBA now. Uh, Michael, it's a little early. We're still 10 days out from a bunch of the league being even trade eligible. So it's so forgive me for, you know, a little early here asking you this. Who do you think is the biggest name that could be moved between now and the trade deadline? Now nah, that's okay, Blake. You're, you're doing your job. I mean, we, we all do it every day. These are the conversations that we have, brother. I think, first off, 
the G League showcase I look at as much as anything as a marker because that's where a lot of executives are going to be and there's going to be it's almost like the winter meetings. You know, there's the winter meetings of baseball. Well, it's similar oh, like yeah. that to, to the NBA. Um, you're starting to go back and forth on concepts and ideas. With that in mind, given everything and all the intel that's at my disposal and around the league right now, I think the two biggest names that could get moved lie in Chicago, and it would be Zach Levine or DeMar DeRozan, possibly both. Um depending on what direction Chicago goes. Uh, to me, when you look at where they are in the standings, and given that that big three trio has not won without Lonzo Ball when he was healthy, they've got to make a change. And certainly Zach Levine has been frustrated. DeMar DeRozan has clearly been frustrated. He's publicly alluded to it. Um, whereas Zach Levine, it's been more about you know reporting that hasn't been denied. You know, make of that what you will. But I think in Chicago, they have two of the top names right now that could be moved. And I think that if you're looking for a quote-unquote, I don't know if I'd call them a seller, but certainly a team that's going to make a move, you have to look at the Chicago Bulls right now, no question. Yeah, that it would be. Uh, it would make a lot of sense uh, given where they are and how – the path forward or the path to, you know, bottoming out doesn't seem particularly strong either way without making a couple of moves here. Um, Michael, that's on the, you know, potential seller side. Are there any teams that you think might catch the general public off guard by being a buyer, maybe ahead of what we would have thought the schedule was before last summer? Yeah. I mean, a lot of executives have wondered if, you know, Orlando, because of their hot start, or Oklahoma City would make a move. I wouldn't bank on Orlando right now, um, given their young core. They they like their core. They want to see where it's going. Um, I think they are realistic about their expectations. Certainly, they're pleasantly surprised with where they are right now. But the team that everyone is always monitoring, and I think around the league is feared, is the Oklahoma City Thunder because they have significantly more assets to trade, whether it's young players, future draft capital, uh, to make a move. And we've seen Sam Presti go after a guy like Paul George previously. Um, so I think that's the dark horse buyer in the NBA right now and a team that has the assets to get it done, whether it's young players or future draft capital. Yeah. Um that would be scary if OKC made that kind of move. Hey, last thing I wanted to ask. Um, so you had Franz Wagner on your podcast. What was the what was the biggest takeaway for you in that conversation? Um, obviously, that was on your podcast. I did. Franz Franz was a pleasure to talk with. I think the biggest thing that stand out too. I'd say three things stuck out to All me right. briefly from that that pod. One. He admitted that they have the belief now when they go into the arena that they're going to win each game. They didn't have that in the past. Wow. Um, so this team believes in itself and believes they're for real. Number two, he specifically pointed out Coach Jamal Mosley as a guy that's been the driver of the culture change there. Um, and certainly as coach of the month, I, for one, think he's certainly a coach of the year candidate yeah. given the start of the season that they've had. Nobody expected them to be this good this quickly. 
And, you know, they had lost Wendell Carter and Markel Fultz. These are two guys that were starting for them. Mm-hmm. Um, the third thing that stuck out to me was going back to the summer when he played for Germany and they won the FIBA World Cup. Uh, for Franz, he basically, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but essentially he said that was something that when he was young, he couldn't even have dreamt about as a young uh, German because it was so crazy of a thought given how little German basketball was impacted at that time. You know, sure, you had Dirk Nowitzki, but that was one guy. Now his belief is that them winning the FIBA World Cup is going to affect future generations, and it really put them on the map. And I would certainly agree with that. I don't think a lot of people coming into the tournament, you know, pegged them as the winners. They certainly were a formidable bunch with with several NBA guys, uh, including Dennis Schroeder, Daniel Tice, and his brother Mo Wagner. But uh, those were the three main takeaways I had mm-hmm. um, from Franz, and and he's certainly a player that a lot of executives around the league think is going to be a, a really good player going forward. And for Orlando, he's a good core piece to build around. That sounds like a great conversation. You can check that out uh, on the Hoops Hype podcast. Uh, Michael Scott, I appreciate you. You got it, fellas. Anytime. Thanks for having me. All right. That was, uh, it, it was great to look ahead to, to trade season because I know this is going to dominate a lot of our conversations. Uh, it'll be something we talk about time and time again. Um, but yeah, Raptors, we're the wild card team once again. Yeah, and for anyone who doesn't know those dates we were speaking about, December 15th is the date. A lot of players can now be traded January 15th for some players who are extended mm-hmm. in the offseason. That G League showcase that Michael mentioned, which is an unofficial GM's meeting, December 19th to 22nd in Orlando. So we're not far off from trade season starting up. There you go. Okay, we're going to take another break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. When we come back, let's look more at the in-season tournament. Top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wim Lou. Continue to be joined by co-host Blake Murphy. And we are joined on the line by Dan Wykey of the LA Times. Dan, are, are you are you in the minivan once again? I have to ask. No, no, no I am. Uh, I'm out of the house today. And by the way, that was a, a Hyundai sedan. Thank you. Very oh, much. oh, oh, I'm so sorry. Greg, uh, it's just very spacious. Uh, it did look Otani very spacious, day, maybe, guys. Maybe seriously, maybe Otani Day. Very exciting. Mm, that's right. Yeah. <sighs> by don't, the way, don't get me started, man. <laughs> uh, I'm biting biting my tongue all show about Otani stuff. I, I worked, you know, a little bit in here and there, but. I got to, I'm like, legitimately, this show would get scrapped and we're going to Otani talk. That is the official PSA to all our live viewers. If the Blue Jays, if there's any report of the Blue Jays officially signing Shohei Otani, this show will immediately go to break and I will scramble out of here. Alex will scramble out of here and it will be Blake breaking down the fact that Shohei Otani has landed in Toronto. So don't worry, live viewers. We will have all the breaking news. In the meantime, we got to talk about... uh, yeah, the in season tournament. Tournament. Yeah. Let's talk some tournament, guys. Do you, do you guys have the fever up north? The IST fever. Uh, we I think we do honestly. I mean, it's hard not to watch that game. I'm in. We did 20 minutes on the Pacers at the start of the show. They you, deserve you got it. the fever, man. <laughs> they deserve it. They the Indiana fever. No, seriously. Um, that that was an awesome game. I'm looking forward to what tonight holds mm-hmm. as well. Um, obviously you're pretty familiar with uh the Lakers side of things, and um, 
yeah. Okay, so the Lakers are a bit of an older team, right? Because, look, the, the Pacers, they can make the argument, well, we haven't really had playoff games. We haven't even had a TNT game. So we can really get up for this one. I do wonder on the flip side, for a veteran team like the Lakers who last year went to the conference finals and for, you know, well, some of them are champions on their team. Obviously, LeBron has won four. But, like, um, what is the Lakers' sense of the in-season tournament and their excitement for this? Guys, um, one of the things that I've found to be very rewarding through this process is, like, the ties that bind us together as human beings on this planet, right? You know, we breathe the same air. We pay the same taxes. Um, we listen to the same music. We go see the same movies. It's one of the things that's always kept me from being like ever starstruck. Turns out one of these ties, guys, is a desire for $500,000. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Like the, like the naked um, lust for that cash <laughs> among the Lakers has been so refreshing and honest. Uh-huh. Like it's the money uh-huh. is the answer. They all want the money. Isn't LeBron um, essentially making five hundred k per game anyway? So like, yeah, but five hundred k more, I, man. I think I've learned about. Sorry, I think I've learned about rich people is when they have a lot of money, the thing they like is getting more. Okay. And I mean, like, I think like that is what it is, and it is wild. And I wish holistically, because you watch like the competition right in these games, and you mm-hmm. see, um, I think there was like a, a rebound crash in Sacramento, New Orleans, where I was like, dude, that guy is going hard. Mm. Like, where it, it looked like a playoff-type crap. And, like, this is a little thing. Like, nobody really notices it. But, like, for someone like me who sees a lot of NBA basketball, it, it stuck out. Like, it was like the turbo was stuck down for a little bit, right? Um, and that's cool because those are young teams that are that are playing, you know, like, you know, Sacram- I mean, Sacramento's never won an NBA title. You know what I mean? New Orleans has never won an NBA title. You win this, like, you can really celebrate it. Like, yeah. a banner maybe even. Right. I would not be like appalled if I saw a banner in one of those arenas. Um, The Lakers don't have that necessarily. The Celtics don't have that, but like, dude, everybody loves the cash. And I think down the road, ideally the prestige will follow. But um, for right now, like the money's been good enough. I mean, the Lakers have played tremendous in season tournament basketball. Now the schedule has been very light too. Um, So, you know, they were in a group with, a Phoenix team that they they beat Bradley Beal and Kevin Durant, but it was Beal's first game back, first or second game back. Uh, you know, they played Portland without Scoot Henderson, Memphis without Ja. Um, Utah was, you know, had no guards. Um, so, you know, they were able to run up that point differential like, almost to 100. But um, I think it was 74 or something like that is what it finished at. But um, they have played harder. And for a team that, like, knows it will get judged basically by how it performs or if it reaches May and June. Um, having this has been like a nice little like, you know, shot of adrenaline, uh, cappuccino, whatever, triple Red Bull to the system for this basketball team. Like it got them a little energized. It worked. Which which is great. And look, last night the Pacers celebrating as they did as they went on that late 9 nothing run. You, you tweeted, max effort basketball is a blast. Like it's re- it really yeah. is that simple that – you can't have your foot all the way down on the gas, 82 games a year, 48 minutes a game, but you can do it twice a week for a couple of weeks at the start of the season. Um, so that's the excitement leading up to it. Dan, I don't mean this from like, uh, oh, the ratings and, and things like that standpoint, but from a, there is a Lakers exceptionalism with the Lakers organization, the Lakers fan base. And there is, of course, the very legacy conscious LeBron James. If the Lakers were to win the in-season tournament, 
Do you think that this level of excitement and care in the lead up to it, they're going to like retroactively act like this was a really important thing that they cared a ton about? Because now the Lakers and LeBron have won it. So obviously it's a really important thing. It's an interesting question. It's what I thought about is sort of like, <clears throat> you know, if the NBA script writers, not a real thing, but let's just pretend it is. If the NBA script writers like had their say, who would win this, right? Would it be a team like the Lakers who, you know, obviously tons of stars, um, you know, like, I mean, LeBron would, you know, would be all over his Instagram for days, you know, pictures of him with the, the cup and stuff like that. If he won the MVP, it'd be, you know, like it'd be part of his legacy. I don't think it's like, I'd have a hard time imagining people like, you know, sitting at a, at a bar arguing about the greatest player of all time and being like, well, LeBron has won an in-season tournament. What has Jordan ever done? In November like that seems like a crazy thing to happen <laughs> but like I do think like there will be I mean it does sort of add a layer of like you gave me something to win and I went and won it just like I've done everything else in this silly league that I play in. um so there's that uh but I I do kind of wonder like I mean it would be weird again for the Lakers to hang a banner next to a championship banner it'd be weird to hang you know, to honor that in the same space where you honor Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Kobe Bryant and Elgin Baylor and Jerry West. Like, that doesn't feel quite right either. You know, I've kind of wondered, would the league prefer it to be a team somewhere in the middle, right? Like, a team that would, like, take this, that has the star power, but, like, would also, like, like love it. Like, I mean, the Knicks are perfect, right? Like, in that sense. Like, the Knicks win this thing. Like, you know, they can celebrate it. They treat it like it's a big deal. Um, the confetti falls. It doesn't look contrived or anything like that. Um, and then, you know, the Knicks haven't won a lot in the last 30 years, so they can celebrate it. Now, I don't think you – we're not talking like parades or anything like that, right? Like that's not what this is. But it should be something like before the next home game or something like that. You are. You treat it like a big deal. Because I do think like while like I've sort of like joked about it and I joke about it with you guys, like I've enjoyed kind of like how just like materialistic like the push has been for this. Like, ideally, like, for this to, like, really, really catch, like, the players have to want it for more than the paycheck. Like, it has to be something that means something to you, and it means something to your season. It doesn't define it in the same way a championship does, but, like, in the same way, you know, division titles used to matter. I mean, we go into these NBA buildings occasionally, and you'll see the division title banner. Here. Like, that's not, yeah, okay, great example, yeah, right? And that's not like to say that that's you should honor to some degree that accomplishment. It's a real accomplishment. 82 games. You had the best team in the division. Divisions don't matter anymore, but like you can honor these things. And I think anything that moves away from like this absolute binary kind of concept of success and failure in the NBA, where either you win a championship or you stink is um, good for everybody. Yeah, I, I do agree with that because it, it's just it. It really leaves 29 losers at the end of every year. Mm. And I just feel like sustainably for fans, like you have to, you have to have something more to cheer for um, than just a championship. And that doesn't take away the importance of a championship. That's obviously what everyone's playing towards. But we can appreciate that kind of nuance so we can celebrate things and it'll be fun. And also, you know, I, I was thinking too about like how annoying it must be for to be LeBron and walk through everything. And it's like, no matter what I do, this is for my legacy. Like, and, it, and right now, now it, Adam Silver is massaging your calf to make sure that you can play tonight yeah, because he's, he's questionable. He's going to play. He's, gonna he's play. not that quite. Guys, he's not that questionable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So he's going to play. But it's like everything you do is for your legacy. You know, everything you do has to be compared to like literally Michael Jordan. It'll be like, well, you know, what you did in Vegas was cool, but Michael Jordan also went to Vegas in the middle of a season. <laughs> to save Dennis well, Rodman. So, you know, it's not yeah, as cool it, as it's that. Funny, it's annoying, funny writing man. about him. Is, yeah, yeah, writing about him is strange in that way, too, in the sense, like, one, like, virtually everything's been written about him, right? Yes. And, like, if you're going to criticize him, I feel like sort of like you criticize him, you have to put in the scope, like, yes, this is not going well, but he's at worst the second best player of all time. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like. Exactly. Like, 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 it's like they are wild standards always, right? And and he's in that way, he is very tough to govern. Um, but I think like he is though, um, if nothing, he's like very aware of the moment, yeah. right? Um, like now whether you say that's contrived or any of that stuff, like it's probably a little bit of everything. But like you know, I mean, LeBron James wants to own a basketball team, right? He wants to own it in Las Vegas, like. I would think that there is some sort of legacy value to him. The one day when, you know, that Las Vegas, I don't know what are we calling them, the clubs or something like that, some horrible name. Las Vegas when clubs, that, when that, that's not good. That's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Didn't, Sorry. Guys, only took one marketing class in college. Only one. Um, whatever we're naming it, right? Like the Aces is such a good name. The Aces like, is perfect. Like that's yeah. perfect. Yeah. yeah, it's a great name. So I don't know what Maybe they're going to do. Space sounds cool. Enough. I don't know. Uh, all right, we gotta work on some different. Right, maybe, fine, the fine, fine. maybe maybe the suits, the, the suits. Las Vegas suits. Okay. Um, so, right. anyways, <laughs> they play. I think there'd be some value to being like, you know, this is like the place where LeBron won another championship. Like that just seems to me like, mm-hmm. as somebody who likes having these things in his story, like sure. So I mean, he's plenty motivated. Now look, there's a very good basketball team standing in front of them tonight. There will be a very good one. Um, if they win in Las Vegas and probably a really good one for them in, in the finals, if they were to be able to get there. Um, but I think that's kind of what's fun about this whole thing, right? Like I can kind of talk myself into, into being excited about any outcome over these next few days. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the fact that I like last night I was doing TV in LA and I was, I was in the studio and they had um, the Monday night football game was on in the background. And I kind of was like, too, but, but the tournament, like, where's the <laughs> yeah, tournament? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I would never in any circumstance feel that way. Like, I did an interview in L.A. earlier today with the, the local NPR station, and the host asked me, he's a big Lakers fan, he asked me, he's like, what, why is the NBA doing this? And I was like, Larry, it's because the only time you ever have me on NPR to talk about the Lakers is in the playoffs and at the start of the season. Mm-hmm. Like, it's worked. You're, you, you, you've, you've been seduced by this and i think um it's something we're gonna get used to we're gonna get a lot of it and um i'm looking forward to it my colleague jorge castillo today wrote a, a really good story in the la times about should baseball try this sure hockey too let's i mean let's try to figure out ways to eventize these sports that play these marathon seasons it's good for everybody it's good for the media who gets exhausted it's good for the players who drown in the monotony of it um it's good for the fans because it tells them it's not just one thing. You've got a lot of stuff. It's really been, I think, a, a very, a very successful start. So, Dan, this time last year, uh, LeBron and Anthony Davis were playing with, I don't know, the Vegas team would be called the Las Vegas 2-7 offsuit. Uh, as far as the supporting cast Ooh, goes, yeah. they had to make yeah. a lot of moves at the deadline to make that eventual playoff the push. Yeah. 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 Um, shout out to Doyle, not Jalen. Um, and then... 
you know, this year they're ahead of where they were last year, unquestionably. There are still some areas they're going to need to address. They've got a couple guys, you know, probable or, or potentially out for uh, tonight, like Gabe Vincent, Rui, Jared Vanderbilt. Um, so it hasn't been perfectly smooth, but it's been better. When it comes to these Lakers role players, we know they're going to be looking to upgrade at the deadline because they always do. Which of the supporting cast outside of LeBron, AD, and D'Angelo Russell has kind of most solidified themselves for you in terms of, yeah, you could trust them in a rotation night to night. They're guys that the Lakers are going to ride with. Well, I mean, they really believe in Austin Reeves, right? Like, and he's had kind of an up and down start to this season, a little dead leg out of Team USA. But I think he showed in Team USA, right, that like this is a guy that especially at that deal at his age, um, he's a win now player on a very, very um, team friendly deal, around 15 million a year. Like, I, I think I have a hard time believing that they would part with him in, in, a, in a trade for, you know, somebody who's as polarizing as, say, like a Zach Levine or something like that. Like, that seems like a non starter for me. Um, but, like, you know, you mentioned D'Angelo Russell. Like, he's a name that always comes up in these things. Uh, his contract seemed. Like it was made in a way to be like, hey, this is tradable. <laughs> um, but he's played, you know, statistically pretty well. Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, I, somebody sent me something last night where like that comped his numbers to CJ McCollum's this year, and like they're very similar, right? Um, now, is that playoff winning? I don't know, and, and maybe they look to like reorganize a little bit like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, like it'll be some version, some combination, if they make some sort of move, it'll be some combination of D'Angelo Russell, Torian Prince, Gabe Vincent um, will be very hard to move because of his injury. He hasn't played yet this year um, or played very little this year. I'm sorry. And then, uh, you know, Ruby Hachimura, um, some version of these players, but like, you know, it all makes sense on the Lakers too. And, and they still don't really even know what this team looks like. Jared Vanderbilt tonight will play a second game of the season. Uh, you know, and he, he's a guy who started for them gives them a lot of what they've missed early. The record is good-ish. Um, watching it every night has been some variation of good-ish to kind of meh. Mm. Like, it feels like maybe they need to do something. Um, but, you know, it's it's still so early in this year, and I think um, the most important thing for this team is to keep LeBron James and Anthony Davis as healthy as possible. And if you go into a series with those two guys, even with the supporting cast they have right now, they'll have a reasonable chance um, against almost anyone. Yeah, LeBron is, uh, the minutes are down. Like, they're not under 30 or whatever Darvin Ham kind of said coming into yeah. the season, but that the last, fact that, that they lasted, like, That lasted less than 30 minutes, that minutes limit, by the way. It was, like, <laughs> the fastest. Yeah. Uh, I've never seen a plan abandoned so quickly. Uh, you know, we, we, you know. Uh, you know, I'm not going to make it about Toronto. Never mind. Um, what was I going to ask about? So, what the when I'm watching Laker games, and I'm, you know, I, I'm always a little bit surprised by what Cam Reddish is giving them. Uh, this season, how yeah. much he's being used, and At then I go online. Yeah, yeah, and then I go online, and I just constantly see Lakers fans being like, "Why is Cam Reddish in?" It's the new fourth quarter crypto. <laughs> I got my tool in, you know, <laughs> wondering why Batum's in. Like this is Cam Reddish for the Lakers on the other side of crypto. So, how's his season been? Because you know he was obviously a hugely highly touted prospect, along with Zion, along with RJ Barrett coming um, out of Duke. But it just hasn't yeah. really clicked for him. But maybe, maybe here in the Lakers. I think one of the hardest things to do in sports guys is like trying to figure out, like if you're not going to be the guy that you were in high school or the guy that you were in college, like how can you win? How can you become like a useful professional NBA player? Um, you know, particularly if you're one of those tippy top guys, like Cam Reddish was one of the best players in his class, yeah. you know, rated higher than Zion Williamson going to Duke. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and and you know obviously like nobody would even put them in the same world right now in terms of like their station in the NBA. I think what Cam has done is like he's embraced a very simple role. Like go guard the best dude. Yeah. Like we think you are athletic enough and a smart enough best player that we can put you on the best perimeter player. Like my guess is tonight if he's in the starting lineup it'll be Devin Booker. Mm. Like go guard Devin Booker mm. and make it work. And he has been active. Like, I mean, he's been getting like Prigioni steals. Nice. Like where he like, he hides in the backcourt and stuff like that. Like, I thought that was a Marcelo you know, Fuertes steal. That's one of my favorite plays of him as a Laker. <laughs> it, you know, I always give it to Prigioni just because okay. I do love Prigioni. But yeah, like, sure. yes, I mean, you know, um, Jose Alvarado, yeah. the master of this, right. the this, this sneaky art as well. But like, I think like those guys, like he's done stuff like that. I, there's been minutes where he's gotten a little outside of his lane. Um, you know, bad quick threes, stuff like that. But, like, look, if he's a guy who's willing to take open corner threes, hit a huge one this season after missing a huge one, mm-hmm. um, to take open corner threes, to, to to work on defense, like, there's always minutes for those kinds of guys. He's huge. Like, you see him. Like, he looks like an NBA wing. And he's been one of their best offseason acquisitions. Like, there's no question, you know. Like, their offseason got a lot of praise, I think. And, like, through 20 games, it's been pretty mixed results. Yeah. You know, you, you know, I mean, Torian Prince has been fine, um, somewhere between fine and a little underwhelming, starting to play a little bit better right now. Gabe Vincent has not played, um, really, you know, and then Christian Wood has struggled to find his footing. Jackson Hayes has, has been kind of in and out of the rotation. Um, Cam Reddish has been kind of the steal. And, and the Lakers have this sort of track record um over recent years where they've been able to get these guys like these like kind of reclamation type players and put them into to roles and and help them redefine their careers i mean you we all watched one last night in sacramento malik monk is a guy who took a minimum deal to play for the lakers and 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 really a lost season uh two years ago for them the first westbrook year and um you know you i watched malik last night and it's just like that's a confident player who knows what his job is in the nba yeah. And I think when I see Cam Reddish now, I see a player who's learning what his job is in the NBA. Now the trick is once he gets good at this, you know, one, can he, can he tune in a, a little bit on the other stuff or, you, you know, will he be, or will he be satisfied? Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I don't even say that in a bad way. Like, will he embrace the job that he has and just focus all his energy on doing that? If he does that, he could be a really successful role player. Yeah. That's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a great story because I think this, this affects so many young players coming to the league you know, they're mm-hmm. so successful. They're Everybody is the man coming out of the high school for the most part. And it's like, okay, how do you grow from that? Because, like, you get to the point, you get into the real world, like, LeBron's the man. Guess what? LeBron is the man, okay? So who are yeah. you going to be? How are you going to get minutes? What role are you going to play? How are you going to convince the coach to play you, to notice you? How are you going to get your next contract? It's like you just get thrown into the deep end. And I think that, I don't know. I guess it's like not too dissimilar from like even the average person coming out of like school when they when they're young. You have these high expectations, and then you got to live in the real world. And I'm well, happy there, for Cam that he found this, a spot. You know. Yeah, and there's the secondary part of that too, which is like when you do have some success, and like time kind of moves on from you. Like, can you adjust again? Then I'm right. on sort of the backside of your career. I mean, like Vince Carter did it as well as anyone. He did yeah. in this league, but but like. You know, I mean, I've had a lot of conversations with Christian Wood about this. I mean, this is a guy who's had the biggest usage cut in the NBA and he's trying to go from a guy who scored kind of empty points and empty calories to like a guy who is now looking up box score plus minuses to judges nights. 
And that's tough. It screws with your head. I mean, this is a guy who has derived all of his value in the NBA about putting a ball in the basket, right? Now, if you play five good minutes and win three 50-50 balls, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's what the Lakers need from you. This is your new job. It's a, it's really challenging. And it's, I think, um, you, you know, for veteran players, for young players, it's one of my favorite things to watch when we cover teams and watch these things and, and being close to seeing – you know, how these guys shake up because the talent in this league is the talent, right? Like the tippy top guys are always going to have homes everywhere. Um, but like for that middle big chunk of the league, right? 75% of the league situation and opportunity and how you embrace it. And like, that's, that's the puzzle of putting together these teams, especially when you're a team like the Lakers, that's so pot committed at the top end of your rosters. Can you find these guys that are willing and can you mold them into things? And, that's why I think it's still a little foolish and a little reckless for some people to be talking about trades and stuff like that. It's like, we're like 20 games into the molding, you know, like we're just getting it started. So where is it from here? Um, you know, when they know for sure that this is not something Christian Wood can do, or this is not something Rui Hachimura can do, or it is. And, and then once they figure that stuff out, then you go fix the rest of it. And Christian Wood, you know, he's a, he's a great example. This is his eighth team over nine years and he was lighting yeah. up the G league for years and it took all of that. And this is as an undrafted guy out of UNLV. Now imagine trying to do that when you're Cam Reddish, you were the number 10 pick, you went to Duke and were part of this huge trio of guys, the mental aspect of that, the ego aspect of that. And then also like fundamentally prioritizing different parts of your skill set. Um, you know, Cam Reddish, I don't remember the Duke defensive tape that well on a team with Zion and RJ Barrett. I'm sure he was guarding guys, but that team did not need to guard crazy hard probably with Zion and RJ. Uh, so it's a completely uh, different thing. Now, last one before we let you go, Dan, uh, it is the Suns tonight. The Lakers have beat them twice this year, but they are yet to see Devin Booker. Um, Booker has kind of taken this big step forward as a, as a playmaker. He's fifth in the league in assists per game. What do you make of the matchup? I mean, I think this, I mean, this feels like a year where Devin Booker is going to scratch that MVP conversation if Phoenix, yeah. you know, moves in the direction that I think it will. Um, I'm a big believer in Frank Vogel and that staff. I mean, I've seen it firsthand with the Lakers, um, what what he's been able to do with, with talent and stuff like that. And, you know, they've really missed their fourth quarter organization. And, like, that's going to be Devin Booker. Like, just like it is. That's going to be the guy they play through late in games, um, for a big stretch in this season, despite, you know, two games against the Lakers, like they were a better team for three quarters. The Lakers get to the fourth quarter, LeBron James is fresh, and they just kind of run through the the tape. Um, I think this is going to be a really hard game for the Lakers. I just think that, you know, Phoenix, to me, um, is a team that is like finding itself. They play with tremendous energy. They crash the glass. Like guys like Josh Okogie, like drive the Lakers crazy because they're just so athletic and stuff like that. But on the other end, the Lakers have been one of the best home teams in the NBA this season. Um, they've really kind of carved an identity there. They're getting whole. Jared Vanderbilt does matter to this team. Rui Hachimura does matter to this team. I mean, this this seems like it, it has a chance, guys, to be one of the top four, you know, in-season tournament quarterfinal games of all time. Like, I'm confident oh, yeah. saying that it, it, it will be an all-time in-season tournament quarterfinal game. But I think it'll fit the script of these games that have been really competitive, um, tight into the fourth quarter, physical. Um, that's the thing for me. I'll watch for this game. Can Anthony Davis, you know, get to the line? Can Anthony Davis kind of feast against a team that doesn't have great rim protection? Uh, if the answer is yes, 
um, probably a Lakers win. If the answer is no, if he's around 17, that's it's going to be up. It's going to be uphill. Someone's going to have someone else is going to D'Angelo Russell Austin. He's one of those guys going to have to go off. Yeah. Um, also, I can't believe we've gone this far without saying it. It's going to be LeBron versus KD in a must win. Like I, I, we've never seen that before. <laughs> no, right? And like that's so yeah. awesome. So I'm, uh, I'm excited to watch this. Dan, appreciate you, and uh, we'll call you again soon when we need to talk about the Lakers. All right. Guys, happy, good luck on the Otani front. Happy Thank holidays, you. and we'll talk soon. There you go. There you go. Next time, by the way, when he comes on, I got to ask him about uh, these four Lakers because I, I opened up the Lakers roster, and genuinely, I had I was very confused by these inputs. You trying to talk to Moy Fudge? I'm talking, yeah. Alex Fudge? Yeah. A- Alex Fudge is, is one of their players. Yeah, Alex, tap in if you need to. Moy Hodge and Alex Fudge. I, this, is how, this is how excited I am about these guys. I'm mixing all their names up. Uh, Alex Fudge, Colin Castleton. Who is Colin Castleton? We need to know. Uh, he played in Michigan, so you know um, that's uh, <laughs> that's not insignificant. But what? Uh, Demoy Hodge, as you mentioned, uh, and then Maxwell Lewis. I mean, I, Maxwell Lewis, I knew, but uh, yeah, the other ones, I was genuinely like, what? So, These players are real people on the on the Lakers. So a yeah. weird tick that I have, like a. Yeah. Um, so ever since like grade 12, I've read every single NBA box score um, of a game that's happened. I, I like, I, I have some, yeah. Wait, um, what? But you Wait, hover you over, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. But you hover over a guy's name and you see these guys pop up sometimes that played one minute in a game or are active, but don't play. Yeah, and yeah. like the, the early season hovering over every name to make sure I have everyone down like oh it's Jalen Pickett not Jamorco Pickett from yeah, the other year yeah, yeah, right, right, oh right. it's it's Demoy Hodge not De- and Alex mm-hmm. Fudge not Demoy yeah. Fudge Demoy but- Fudge that's so good <laughs> that sounds like something Homer Simpson would have said um Sorry. but Demoy Hodge is like one of my favorite <laughs> yeah. guys to click on yeah. because he went to three different colleges so he has this fascinating basketball reference page where he went to Missouri uh, he went to Cleveland State okay. and he went to State College of Florida Manatee Sarasota no way. No way. Why do they call Real only, name, only no in Florida gimmicks. when they call a college that? Yeah, that's obviously not a, a D1 school. Yeah. Uh, he managed to, to fight his way to Cleveland State and then Missouri. But, yeah, he's got a, a real fascinating real GM and basketball reference page. Yeah, once again, Alex Fudge, Colin Castleton, and Demoy Hodge. All three of you come on the pod. That's important. <laughs> we just want to know who you are. But we're going to take our last break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wim Lou. Continue to be joined by co-host Blake Murphy. And we are joined for the final segment by producer and co-host Alex Wong, who was unable to tap in for Alex Fudge, Colin Castleton, and... D apostrophe M O I Hodge, uh, the more the more Alex Fudge is when I land a Hagen does deal, man. <laughs> that's when you attend a, a Raptors uh, PR press conference <laughs> that's, that's in the summertime I, for Darko Rakovic. That's when I was that's what I was trying to tap in seven times, man, to tell you guys. Wow, I did what confirm during the break that it's Demoy, 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 or Demoy, Demoy, the, the so French. Yeah. That would be that would go hard. Yeah. No, I wow. love that, man. Um, yeah, I had a chance to uh, say what up to Carlo at the University of Toronto today. He was the one that. What's up, Carlo? 
Huge help organizing the prehistoric book launch event. Actually, I got a text from Mike Malone just now saying he received his uh, prehistoric books. Okay, Woj. Because his, uh, his dad... <laughs> Woj, Bob. What more do you want to flex, man? Because his dad, uh, obviously, rest in peace, Brendan, yes. was, was part of the book, and Mike had talked to me Big about part it. Of the so book. I'm excited to see Mike Malone. I checked the schedule. He's going to be here. The Nuggets are here on the 20th. Well, well you know, so. now that you're the producer, I mean, maybe you, uh, you flex those into an opportunity for... Mr. Malone. To wow, I didn't even think come. about that for the show. That's how Sorry, selfish I, I am. I, I'm just, uh, I'm content brained. Uh, oh, that's easy. Yeah. Let's let's try. I mean, let's not say it's easy because I said that about it's Utah. Doable. It's doable. I said that about Utah Watanabe three years ago. No, Utah's the one person that we can't get on the show. We can get Adam Silver. We can't get Utah. Yeah. Anyway, show us to, yeah. to Carlo UFT. He let me know that this Thursday, uh, this week, December 7th at 6 p.m., uh, Donovan Bailey, Canadian legend Donovan Bailey, is having a book launch event himself oh, wow. okay. uh, for his new book, Undisputed, at the Goal Ring Center at UFT. Uh, hosted by Kayla Gray of, of the other network. Yep. Um, so if you want, tickets are available at uft.me slash undisputed or just Google Donovan Bailey UFT undisputed. And proceeds from all the tickets are going to go to the same place I donated my book event money to, the University of Toronto's Indigenous and Black Student Athlete Athletic Bursary. That's awesome. So there we go. What a legend, man. Just want to, yeah, Donovan Bailey is a legend, man. Yeah. Um, you remember when he beat Michael Johnson at the Sky Dome? Um, in the 150? <laughs> that's Des Moines. Hodge to me, buddy. Sorry, <laughs> you're looking, I was, uh, you're I was looking like Alex Fudge right uh, now. I was in China. But was Blake, China. Blake is our uh, Las Vegas insider, apparently. Uh, is there breaking news coming from the Sin City? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not going to use the term breaking news on a day we might get a Shohei Otani <laughs> decision. Um, but it's something... I think NBA relevant because I'm honestly, now that I hear the news, I'm surprised the NBA didn't do this first. The NHL is going to host the draft this year at the Sphere. Hmm. Mm. Okay. In Las Vegas. And that's that's obviously, James Dolan owned, by the way. Oh, so maybe the NBA doesn't have the option. Do you think Azotam's banned from the sphere? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> He's definitely <laughs> under surveillance. It's actually part of the U2 contract that yeah. he just can't go to any U2 concert ever, whether yeah. it's at the sphere or not. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I hadn't thought of the James Dolan part of it. I'm just a little surprised that the NBA didn't do this first, like a big Vegas thing, because, yeah. uh, of course, the, the NBA is all over Vegas with everything except an actual team. The mm -hmm. NBA is so thirsty for Vegas. It's yeah. actually pretty funny. Because didn't they try an all-star? They did an all-star weekend there once, right? Yeah. yeah. And then kind of just never went back, I guess. Well, it's funny because I always thought... 2007. And it was... Yeah. Uh, the first thing that comes up is that it was a disastrous weekend is a quote. Um, there are a bunch of articles uh, about it not being a very... Uh, a great weekend. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's obviously a, a prior era of the league. And I, I wonder if... You know, I mean, certainly a lot of things have changed in 16 years, but like yeah. the league's appetite to be there and their trust that, you know, as an everyday thing versus a once a year thing would be handled a little better than maybe they thought it would have in 2007. It's also a big change in leadership since then. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, I feel like the NBA has like always been sort of in this market, but then like since then they've been surpassed by so many other sports. Like, you know, the Aces have established pretty much a dynasty over there and you know um uh what the golden knights have gone there and and they've really succeeded <laughs> yeah. as well so okay. you know like the nfl is moving in that direction yeah so the raiders they, are there nba is really slow on they end up being the last ones in yeah. and, and, and i mean the baseball base, team's moving yeah too, john right? fisher is in the process of stealing the oakland a's and, and then gaslighting them into saying it's the fans fault uh, for not showing up to watch the lowest payroll team and an historically bad team. Um, so it's going to be, if things 
stay on schedule with the Las Vegas baseball team, the NBA will actually be the last North American major sports yeah. league to get into Las Vegas on a permanent basis. So because they're behind the eight ball, let's get it started here for them. Let, what, what do we name in this Vegas team? They can get the marketing side going already uh, since they ha- they can't get, you know, the arena and the actual team. We can at least get them a name. Yeah, yeah we've been given uh, five minutes to come up with five names of this potential yeah. new Las Vegas NBA team. So yeah, if you, if you guys I want to clarify yeah. that this is just on five <laughs> minutes of prep, I promise. This is how chaotic the show is behind the scenes for people that want that BTS. So, uh, Will, I believe you've prepped four in the five minutes you were allotted. So I, I've got four, and I'm let's, thinking let's about hear the these duds. Let's right. hear these duds. I've already got the Las Vegas spades. I think this one actually does sound ah, kind of nice. Damn, that's actually kind of good. I can't even hate That's it. the one I suggested to Dan Wykey as well. That's, um, a good, that's a good one. Yeah, what do you guys what do you guys think? Um, is is that I, going on the board? Is like, that going in the I trash? Mean, there's What's already that? the that? aces is the thing, and it kind of kind of similar to that. It's like still referencing the cards. Uh, now, if they were if they were those two teams were to have a relationship, right? And then there was some you know like yeah. the an ace of spades. Yeah, drink. like the the Timberwolves, the Iowa Wolves, the Minnesota Lynx. Like mm. all of those have a, yeah, right. a city tie-in in that way around a canine tie-in. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is. That's what it is. So you'd have to you have dud. to lean into that. I think. Yeah. Okay, that's a five out of ten for me. Okay. That's five. Okay, well, the, yeah. the, these ones are going to get worse and worse. Uh, do you have one, Alex? You said you prefer five, or do you want me to present my four? Present you yours because mine are actually. All good. right, they get progressively yeah. worse. The the Las Vegas high rollers. <laughs> You're so direct. They're, they're, Why no? don't you just call them the Las Vegas Gambling Commission? <laughs> no, you don't have the high rollers? I actually, you know what? I'm, I'm hating on you too much. I actually like that one. You like the high rollers? Yeah, I give that a, pa- a pair of kings. Yeah. Uh, they get worse. Okay. Uh, the Las Vegas dams. What? Nah. What does that even mean? It's the dam there, the Hoover Dam. Oh, no, man. Okay, okay it's next. It's a miracle. They were able to control Once again, never put the Will, Colorado River. Never put Will under pressure for content. Uh, okay, he needs fine. a day. Las Vegas Royals. Yeah, but the Royals are already taken, you know, yeah. Kansas City Royals. Um, yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. It's crickets for these <laughs> yeah. ones. Well, I think I'm crickets on Royals. <laughs> Why did you make me do this, man? <laughs> I think I'm crickets you. on Royals because uh, one of mine was the Las Vegas Flush. Oh, which is a high see? poker hand and flush is obviously another uh, term for a dunk. So you get the basketball connection there. It's not a... It's what not, are they, the flushers? I, the uh, flush. Just they're the, Just the flush. I think my brother Blake's in the lead right now. Yeah. Oh, okay. um, also, right. with, with high rollers, the, you couldn't do this because of the, the connotation, but rounders to me would be because oh. of the movie and it's a better term for, you know... Uh, I like uh, that. Right. I, I think the a better workman-like poker player. All right, fine. Let me let me work hard for this fifth one. But you you, you guys work you guys hard. Some work of your hard. Ideas. I think the alternate Please. thing you guys should consider is like what the mascot's gonna be. Mm. Yeah. Because okay. I think there's a really cool mascot idea in here too, right? Like yeah. something gambling related. Um, I'd be down. Okay, I've got the Las Vegas pit bosses. There you go. <laughs> no man, the Las Vegas bosses does sound kind of nice. Just the bosses. The mascot yeah. is just Andy Garcia from Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> yeah, that'd be amazing. The Las Vegas wise guys. You think you can break into my vault? <laughs> okay. Las Vegas wise guys. Tests. I'm messing with the wise guys. Funny actually. how. <laughs> Funny <laughs> you how. I'm actually messing with the wise guys, and uh, my last one was just the Las Vegas hedge. <laughs> like yeah, these are worse than mine. These are worse than mine. They're about equal. These are worse yeah. than mine. Um, I think Blake's this, the, the flush is in the league. This right is now. you couldn't do this because all the gambling tie-ins and stuff. But mm. if you were the Las Vegas house and your team's tagline was the house always wins, I like you that could, one too. Uh, you could do. Something I love with how that. we're like we can't do this. Meanwhile, it's like we yeah. have gambling like you know on this program and also on every program right now. I mean, I think you can do this. I think it's just a whether or not like it'll sound 
anything good. I, my fifth one is Las Vegas Dealers. You guys like the dealers? No, man. Why are you so no, basic? No. <laughs> okay. Uh, Las Vegas would... chips. For the, I think you would need to specify card dealers. <laughs> oh, my God, man. Why are you so uh, bad at this uh, one? The Las Vegas thing. Deadbeats, yeah. the Las Vegas Degenerates. The Degenerates uh, would be amazing. Yeah. It's like, yo, the Degenerates are coming back. They're yeah. down six. The Degenerates are still in it. Um, yeah, Triple H starting point guard. Yeah. Yo, the jerseys would be amazing too. Yeah, honestly. Uh, anyways, right. pivoting now to right. a more important topic. Uh, Shohei Otani. <laughs> Shohei Otani has not signed yet to everybody. Okay, hold on. Hold that's on. tuning in. Blake, because obviously you are more tapped into baseball uh, than either of us. Obviously, you you host Chase Talk Plus. Uh, what is the latest update? Because you seems like he's gone to potentially visit the Blue Jays, like Triple A squad or Single A squad, whatever practice one facility. Yeah, they're they they have what they call it a high performance center. But okay. basically, a couple of years ago, they poured like a hundred million dollars in to redo their facilities in Dunedin, so that like Vlad is spending most of the off season this year in Dunedin, not back okay. home in Dominican yeah. Republic, not getting picked um, off at second in a playoff game. Yeah, you're gonna work <laughs> okay. on that. Um, and like guys will that? do the rehab there, and they have like what they call the pitching lab with yeah. all the biomechanics stuff, and mm. they they basically just made it really state of the art. Okay, cool. And that seems like something every team would do, but not every team has done that yet. Mm. It's one area they potentially have a competitive advantage over, say, the Dodgers, mm -hmm. who share a spring training facility still uh, with the Chicago White Sox. So um, it's a broke franchise. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's even though they have all this money. And look, with something like this, it's going to come down to money for some of it because, like, that's that's yeah. table stakes, right? Like, you you gotta yeah. you gotta put the five hundred million dollars to sit down. Yeah. Um, and then what we're talking about That's the buy-in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, right. I mean, he's not going to, he might leave like a little bit of money on the table for the right situation and stuff, but he's not going to leave like a hundred million dollars on the table. I think the Jays would have to have the highest offer to, to begin to even have the conversation. I feel like. Yeah. Or, or very, very close to it. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe it's not the same offer. You can do some luxury tax stuff with uh, the team being owned by, uh, telecom conglomerate yeah. because you could hey here's a here's an immediate endorsement deal that MLB <laughs> would look at a little closely but no um so for, from the sounds of it it's down to a handful of teams um Dave Roberts the manager of the Dodgers said yep yeah, we met with them a couple days ago mm. the Jays are not admitting it but people have tracked the Jets like they did with Kawhi people okay. have tracked hey Ross Atkins and John Schneider the general manager and manager of the Blue Jays were not in Nashville for the start of the winter meetings they were mysteriously at an undisclosed location yeah. And that just happens to line up with when Otani. We need to explain that Yo, part. Kawhi watch, we man. need to explain that part to Will because Ross Atkins was supposed to meet with the media yesterday. Yeah. Okay. And so imagine person. we roll up the summer league. Yeah. And we're we have a like a strum schedule with Masai. Yeah. Yeah. And then, or I guess this would be Bobby, not Masai. Sure. Um, so and then the Raptors cancel it. They don't tell us why. Mm -hmm. We zoom with Bobby instead, and he's just got a plain white background. Yeah. You can't tell where he, he is at all. He purposely and made he, sure it was a white background. And he background. won't tell you where he is or why. Yeah. Interesting. And the speculation was he was okay. either either maybe in Los Angeles meeting with them, or maybe they were touring the facilities in Dunedin. Yeah. Who knows so, what So it the was. belief is Shohei has been taking meetings in L.A. over the last yeah. little bit, so teams would have gone to him and pitched and stuff like that. But this was allegedly, or mm -hmm. reading, you know, reading the tea leaves, Hey, he wanted to see what this is all about. And you okay. don't 
It doesn't mean he's favoring you, but he means it means he's, he's at least serious considering enough it. to be thinking about this it. This is great. So the, you're telling me the Blue Jays are essentially on Kawhi watch right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, and this, like now I understand. Okay, so this, there's like a shopper's bag involved. Yeah, Mas- uh, Kawhi's no, officially gone to, on. Has he yeah. gone to like uh, Niagara Falls, the equivalent there of Kawhi going to Niagara Falls? Not quite, but we do have the Norman Powell, which is uh, Yusei Kikuchi grew up in rural Japan, and they went oh. to the same high school, wore the same number. Mm-hmm. Shohei, you know, culturally the the seniority thing is a much bigger factor there than maybe we consider it here. So oh, yeah. like Kikuchi being the first that has gone on yeah. and then gone J- Japan to major leagues and major leagues on the West coast, then to Toronto and, and had some Alex success. Workplace to workplace. Yeah. <laughs> this is, um, this is more than just when they were like, Oh, Gravis uh, Vasquez is going to get us Kevin Durant. Yeah. Like there's a okay. real connection. Let's respect, here. let's respect you say Kikuchi a little bit. Right? No, I respect he's you. Not a, he's not a Gravis Vasquez. Now, none of this AK. is to say the blue Jays are going to get him. Mm, I, I think no. most people would probably say, the Dodgers would still be the favorite, um, but um, may, maybe at this point you say the field has a better chance than you. just the Dodgers. The Dodgers um, are less than 50-50. My personal level is that I've talked to our bosses about like, hey, what what happens if he signs in the middle of the show? Like, yeah, yeah. We, like I'm at least scenario planning that the Jays could get no, Shohei you're, you're here bust in like, over the next couple of days. Yeah, if I, I, I I'm going like, to faint, and then once you guys revive me, uh, I'll be ready to no, go on a Jays show. You're going to break in through the set like the Kool-Aid man yeah. uh, and just kick uh, Kipper and Bourne out of here. I think the backdrop has to immediately change. Like it, the There Raptor is no show, Jays Talk Plus logo, though. But just put Shohei Otani's face up there okay. like a million times. Yeah. yeah. I'll be heading to the J shop to get a discounted Shohei Otani jersey. Um, Double check there. I think it might be under renovations right now. Okay. Double check and that I, they're open. And I don't know where you'll be going once Otani signs. Um, so I gotta, I gotta. My life will be the same. We'll be covering the Raptors. Do you guys think Otani's gonna tour uh, one Mount Pleasant as part of a? Uh, why not? His discovery. Why not? We're, dis- we're technically coworkers. Do you think Otani's turning on doing like Rogers like recon and is like ooh? Two Asian guys on TV, two to four PM. This Dodgers why, don't have that. Here's the thing: this is such a comp. You know, the, they always the Dodgers run- actually. Sorry, yeah, do have? I believe the only Japanese American play-by-play person in in sports in Steven Nelson. So, damn it! We, I do you think right. they have that? Get Kukuchi on the line. I want to book Kukuchi for this week, man. Here's the thing: you know how people like have this like online conspiracy of like anybody owned by Rogers is like any to- Raptors talking point is now like. Directly from up top, like it's somehow that I've, I've seen you. I've seen you. I've seen you directly receive payment to say nice things about Fred Van Fleet. But yeah, go yeah, on. That's right. <laughs> it, was, it was cash payment for sure. <laughs> I've seen no, those. It's uh, this is like this conspiracy theory or this joke mm. that gets passed along. This is the part where I'm like, you know what? I will do what it takes for Rogers. You know, I will talk to Yuta Watanabe. Yeah, show his very good friend. Mm. Like they're actually friends. And yeah. I went to him and I was like, in the interview that we were going to do, I was going to ask you to pitch him. To sign in Toronto. Yeah. Which would be a, you know. But you know what? I'm you trying to do my part. You didn't get any of these things done is all Look, I'm saying. The, the, biggest, <laughs> like, what? the biggest wrestling star in Japan was also like in a Blue Jays jersey this summer when there was a big event there here. And, and was a fan of Kikuchi. So Kazuchika Okada could be helping us. Make, hey, I went no, to a Jays is, game. I really dug yeah. it. I like the city. This is really I've cool got my watch, jersey man. ready to go. No. Um, this is how he, insane Kawhi Watch sounded, man. People were looking up where his kids were signed up. CP, tw- or what's the station? CP24, CP24? Yeah, yeah CP24. like they were, we're like, tracking his like a hat. Yeah. Was well, Lindsay Dunn driving a helicopter? <laughs> or that's a different channel. So there's one other thing <laughs> to come out of channel. the winter oh, meetings my bad, my bad, today my bad, my bad, my bad. that I would like Alex's opinion on. Yeah, okay, what's up? Go ahead. Don't ask Will, yeah. Toronto Blue Jays, well, Will doesn't know. He hasn't been there. Yeah. Toronto Blue Jays manager, John Schneider. 
Mm. 43 years old at this point. Four, um, four years older than me. Yeah, okay. So he's a little bit older than us. But yeah. and he's always had this a little bit going on, but he mostly wears a hat. Mm-hmm. Full faux hawk. Mm. At the winter meetings. Yeah. Alex, is that the green light for you to bring it back next haircut? For people that don't know. That's a 43 For people that don't know, Whoa. I had a faux hawk during the 2019 Alex and I have both run. had oh. faux hawks probably later into our oh. lives. 2019, I would, on, be, I would be 35 years old, um, you know, pre-therapy, <laughs> pre-sorting through my issues. Pre- Men will get a faux hawk <laughs> instead of going to therapy. Pre- <laughs> Pre-theomelodone. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I'm down with the faux hawk, man. Yeah. But, like, I did get a few comments from people when, like, I would pop up on a video, you know, with a faux hawk in 2019 being like, yo, bro, like, you can't be rocking a faux hawk no more. We know you're in your 30s. And, you know, I took that to heart. But I've always, if I ever reveal my hair again uh, daily, it'll be with a faux hawk. Because the faux hawk really? is yeah. the look, man. So maybe we should do something. You know how Darko is like, three, win three games, get pizza. Um, if the Raps win seven in a row this year, I'll get a faux hawk. Okay. How about that? How about that? Let's do it. You want to get you guys a little excited? Oh, you really try to motivate the team now, huh? I really want. I really want a faux hawk, but in a way where it's like, oh, I didn't choose it. It's a pizza party, is whatever. Okay, so let's let's do the levels here. Okay, they win three. It's a pizza party. Yeah, and and you know what? We should get Dennis to come on the show to 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 give you the faux hawk too. (laughs) Let him come in and cut your hair, man. All right, let's all put something on the line, man. If they if they win five in a row, yeah. Like, what is the craziest? Like, can we get you a face tattoo? No, I. Uh, that would have to, what if the Raps win 15 in a row this look, season? Look, I already have a, a championship uh, commemorative tattoo, and it's a, oh, a little ah, cartoon okay. moose head that you can't really. Oh, okay. I see, I see, yeah. Okay. From my moose notes, and that was a yeah. uh, similar to this. Someone yeah. was like, "Oh, if they win the championship, you have to get a mo- get yeah, yeah, your yeah, moose yeah. drawing tattoo." I was like, "Sure." If the Toronto Raptors win the championship, yeah. so I'm not doing it for a five game win streak on the way okay. to 41 wins. Okay, let's let's do this. If they win seven in a row, are you down to both go full hawk? No, you're not I down. Like yeah, you. Are you I mean, I, I could do it pretty. I could, you can go a bad. I could probably. Easily. I could also probably just like spike this and like style yeah. it that way. But for, you'd have to get a more intentional faux hawk. Yeah. Are you down for a faux hawk, my brother? No. Seven's too low, but they're <laughs> no. they're not going to win seven in a row this year. But it's still I have a head like a Lego figure, man. Why don't you see a Lego you figure have with to a do, hawk? You have to do something too if they win seven in a row. I don't know. I'll, what I'll, if we'll go seven I'll, shows without his camouflage sweater? <laughs> What are we doing then? I, I, I would I'm not pre- even giving this up. I not would, even for Lent. I would prefer he just do that anyways. Um, but like, you have to eat a hat on air or something, man. Why do I eat a hat? Eat a hat this on is so air. extreme. No, but come on, seven in a row. You yeah, need, seven in a row. I'm you buy, need the I, people I'm, to get excited. You know what? I'll buy the radio team lunch. That's 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 as far as <laughs> I'm gonna go. You're getting your own pizza party at that point. That's ridiculous, man. I'm sorry, but I'm not getting a full hawk for a seven game win streak, man. I've seen the Raptors <sighs> win a championship within the last five years. Anyways, man. we gotta have standards. Yeah, uh, uh, two minutes here. So uh, is that all we got? Yeah, no, we, no, we have to talk basketball in the last. We segment? we we did it, man. Um, you know, back to Otani. Um, sure. You know, since he could become a Rogers employee. Um, you know, what if they came to you, Will, and they were like, yo, we're just a little bit, we just need a little bit more money to cross the finish line here, Will. Are you willing to take a 50% pay cut to, to acquire Otani? Would you, would you do it? This is how you're, this is how you're <laughs> filling the last two minutes of the show? It's literally on the rundown. <laughs> Uh, you know what? Honestly, for what all the you good, will, what you willing the, to give up man? for all the goodwill, if that Which, gets pub- here's the thing, if that gets publicized, you would literally be known as Goodwill Lou. <laughs> yeah, I'm, you know what? I'm happy to do that. I'm okay, but you need it publicized. This is I need to publicize. This actually happened with the Blue Jays once before. Allegedly, uh, the Jays careful, players careful. were trying to chip in to get Irvin Santana. 
uh, yeah. back before the 2015 come up. Yeah. My favorite guitarist. Uh, <laughs> we sorry, did it, guys. I'm trying my very best. We've learned today that we can just do segment four without any rundown. Uh, I'm enjoying uh, all the banter. <laughs> that's, that's friend of the Whoa, program, Adam Silver. Let me Derek, hear that again, Derek. That again. <laughs> I'm enjoying all the banter. Yo, <laughs> sounds like he's AI, man. Anytime someone complains about us not talking about basketball for five minutes, that's the reply. Adam Silver, thank you, man. All right, that does it for us today. Thank you. I've been your host, Willie. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. And please rate and review the show. Thanks once again to Mike Scotto, Dan Wyke, your producer and co-host, Alex Wong, Blake Murphy, your board producers, Derek Brangdale, James Wilson, David Sis, Jeremy Manitide. We'll talk to you tomorrow.